What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Jumpin' Jack Flash, it's a gas, gas, gas. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkebaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. So today we're going to talk about an alternative to gas-powered vehicles, or what could potentially be an alternative. We're talking about fuel cell technology, and fuel cells can be used for more than just vehicles, obviously. They can be used for energy production and other methods, but we're mostly focusing on vehicles, right? Right. So fuel cells, what are they? How do they work? What What's up with this crazy thing? Do they really just generate electricity and water? Why don't we have this magical technology everywhere? We're going to answer all those questions and more. So sit back and relax. Okay. This should be fairly obvious, but maybe quick refresher. What's the problem with gas? Well, it pollutes. Uh, it's polluting both when you're trying to 
get at the raw materials. It pollutes when you're refining the raw materials into the fuel. It pollutes after you burn the fuel. Uh, and there's a limited amount of the stuff out there, and it's not always in places that are easy for us to get to. Also, it's relatively energy inefficient. Uh, a regular gasoline-powered vehicle is only really going to operate at, like, 25% efficiency. Yeah, you're not going to get, well, and that's, it's, Fuel efficiency that's the problem anyway. with internal combustion engines, right? right? You're, you're losing a lot of that potential energy due to heat. It ends up, you're losing it by, by heat. So instead of being able to harness that energy, we just end up releasing it into the environment. Okay, so when we're talking about a fuel cell vehicle. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially we're talking about an electric vehicle yes. that has its mode of electricity production coming along with it. Right. So most electric cars, you'd say you plug it into the wall, charge up a battery, and then you drive off. Right. Uh, a gas-powered car, you take your fuel with you, and it you know makes things explode, and that gives yeah. you your power. Yes. This is sort of somewhere in the middle. It's an electric car, but you're taking your fuel along with you. Right. And fuel cells and batteries tend to get... You know, for for people who aren't familiar with the technology, it can be a little confusing because they both rely on a similar principle. They're electrochemical energy conversion devices, right? So these are devices... <laughs> just rattle that off. But these are devices that use an electrochemical reaction to generate electricity. So it's a chemical reaction that, as a result, releases electrons. That's what electricity is, you know, the flow of electrons. Right. So uh, we then harness this release of electrons through a circuit. Uh, we usually call this a load. We put a load on a battery and then those electrons can do work. So the classic example, something that everyone does in their physics class is they build the basic circuit with a little light bulb. And then when you close the switch so that you've completed the circuit, the electrons. Hopefully, can, fingers crossed. Right, assuming you uh, built everything correctly, which is pretty simple to do, but you know, leave it to me, I can mess it up. Uh, once, once the circuit is complete, the electrons can flow from one terminal of the battery through this circuit, uh, doing the work, and then into the other end of the battery. Now, with batteries, this electrochemical process results in an inert material once the electrons come back in and those those chemicals have finished their their chemical reaction. Uh, they usually will last, you know, a good long while, depending upon how much load you're putting on the batteries. But eventually, you get a dead battery, right? You got mm. a battery that no longer can create uh, electricity sufficient for you to do any work. Sure. And sometimes you can recharge that battery. Sure. Right? Yeah. And that's essentially reversing that process. That's when you're, instead of uh, harnessing the electrons coming out of the battery, you're shoving electrons back in the battery, screaming the whole time until the battery has reached some level of, uh, 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 it's, it's returned to the state it was before you expended all the energy, more or less. Batteries, of course, lose their potency over time. The less and less of the battery will recharge so that eventually you have to replace them anyway. You'll, you'll realize that. Like anyone who's owned any electronics for any length of time is like, you know, I remember when the battery life on this thing was great, but now it doesn't last half as long as it used to. And it's not mm. just your imagination. You know, it really does happen. And there are other things that can happen that make that uh, that process go more quickly, which is something you don't want to do. Well, fuel cells are similar to batteries in that you have this electrochemical process, but they're different in that instead of having a set amount of chemicals contained within the unit, you have fuel going into the fuel cell to continuously replenish it, and that is what allows the uh, electricity to continuously generate as long as you have fuel to put into the cell. Okay, so the chemicals we often hear about in batteries are things like maybe lithium yeah. or like, say, lead in yeah, old nickel, batteries. Nickel, cadmium. Yeah, something yeah. like that. 
What are the chemicals we're talking about in a fuel cell, and how do they actually produce electricity on the molecular level? Excellent question. Okay, so the, the they are these very exotic chemicals, okay? You've got hydrogen. I, stop me if I start getting, like, crazy here. you got hydrogen, and you've got oxygen. Okay, so okay. you got what stars are made of yeah. and, <laughs> and what we breathe. Yes, exactly. So hydrogen and oxygen. Now, there is a, a particular molecule that two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen will form if they all get buddy-buddy with each other, which mm-hmm. we call water, right. H2O. So uh, basically what you're doing is you're creating a chamber where hydrogen and oxygen want to get together, want being uh, uh, anthropomorphizing, obviously, but they have a tendency to get together Chemically to form water. Chemically speaking, yeah, they yeah. want yeah. to. So it's kind of like a tank with two sides. Right, and you have a divider in between the two that keeps it from doing this just naturally. And what this divider has also on it, this is an electrolyte membrane in the case of the fuel cells we'll be talking about today. Uh, different fuel cells use different electrolytes. Uh, some use them in membrane form. Some use some molten material. Uh, it all depends upon the actual type of fuel cell. But for fuel cell vehicles, they tend to be this this kind of permeable, semi-permeable membrane. It looks like um, like plastic wrap. Sure. Okay, so this is the electrolyte. It allows positively charged particles to pass through, but not negatively charged particles. All right, now okay. – Coated on this electrolyte membrane is a catalyst. Now, a catalyst, for those who don't remember their chemistry, is something that facilitates a chemical reaction. It's sort of a third-party negotiator. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things like, hey, let me make things a little easier on you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the travel agent. Let me introduce you to my friend. Yeah. So (laughs) in this case, with uh, a lot of the the permeable membrane um, uh, fuel cells, it tends to be a really exotic and expensive material like platinum, uh, but in nanoparticle form. So you've, you've crushed this stuff into particles that are a billionth of a meter in diameter. I mean, tiny, tiny little particles, smaller than what a light telescope could pick up. All right, so you've coated this membrane with that stuff. And you pressurize the hydrogen and you force the hydrogen against this membrane. The catalyst tells the hydrogen, hey, I'll let you through, but you got to lose those those electrons you're carrying. Now, hydrogen carries one electron, right? So the hydrogen ditches the electrons, becomes positively charged ions. Because it's a positively charged ion, it can now pass through that membrane and get over to where all the oxygen atoms are on the other side. But if it has to lose electrons to become positive, where do those electrons go? Well, see, first of all, the electrons really want to get back with those hydrogen ions, right? Positive and negative charges, they they attract one another. Uh, But there's no way they can go through that membrane. However, you've been clever. You've created a back door so that the electrons can scoot through the back door, rush down the hallway, maybe pushing some buttons along the way, and then get to the other side of the chamber and then recombine with their hydrogen buddies and the oxygen new buddies and form water. So in this case, you are actually harnessing the electricity by creating this pathway for the electrons to pass through. That's the anode side of the fuel cell. They come in on the cathode side of the fuel cell. That's where the oxygen is and where the hydrogen comes in to combine with the oxygen to form water. So your end result with your basic hydrogen-based fuel cell, assuming that you don't have any other funky things going on with the electrolyte, uh, is that you get electricity, you get water, and you get heat. Nice. Those are those are your outputs. So you don't you don't have any other I mean water vapor is a greenhouse gas, but you don't have any other like toxic gases that are created as a result of this reaction. 
So basically the process is it's kind of like you tear children away from their loving parents and force them to run through a hall in order to get back to their parents. But as they run through the hall, they've got to turn a crank. Or you want to go to a popular nightclub uh-huh. where all the the attractive young people are inside, but the bouncer realizes that you are not an attractive young person. I'm talking about myself here. And so you run around the back and find a back door to get in so that you can get into the nightclub. But, but actually, you get exhausted. It's but unbeknownst to you, yeah, yeah, you're on a hamster wheel generating yeah. energy for the popular exactly. young people to yeah. dance to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is that's how Daft Punk started. Cool. Little but known story. Good, good in historical this process, notes. yeah, what, what the running toddlers and the electrons and Jonathan going to the back door of the club all have in common is they don't produce greenhouse gases. Like, well, maybe water vapor, but yeah, yeah, not, but they're nothing, nothing toxic. You don't have any. There's no carbon dioxide in this kind of fuel cell. Depending, I, I say in this kind of fuel cell because there are other types. Depending upon the electrolyte being used or the method being used, that do create some carbon dioxide as a result. Right. I'll talk about one of those in a little bit. Because it's one that uh, kind of – it was one of those news stories that exploded a couple of years ago when it first hit the tech circles. And then I don't know that many people are, are aware of what actually it does. It was this mysterious energy-generating device which turned out to just be based on – not. I shouldn't say just be based on, but turned out to be based on fuel cell technology. But mainly we're talking about hydrogen fuel yes. cells today. Yep, yep. I okay. mean you could talk about uh, – Methane-based fuel cells, that's the other main type. And methane actually is more energy-dense than hydrogen is. So that's one reason why you might look at methane instead of hydrogen. But that also can create some uh, other gases as a result of putting it through the fuel cell. And the technology is a few years behind hydrogen-based fuel cells because that's where most of the the research has gone into. Okay, so you've got your hydrogen fuel cell mm-hmm. set up, and this is generating water vapor, heat, and electricity. Yep. What do you do with that stuff? Well, first of all, each fuel cell is a tiny little thing on its own. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, if you were to say, Oh, my car has a fuel cell in it, your car would not go anywhere. Kind of like if your computer had a transistor. Right. Exactly. That's a good example. Yes. Because you're talking about something that could put out 0.7 volts of electricity. That's not enough to do very much. So what you have to do is you have to have a collection of these fuel cells. That's called a fuel cell stack. And usually you have these uh, separated by bipolar plates, which allow these various fuel cells to work together to generate enough electricity for you to do whatever the work is that you've determined for that particular fuel cell, right? So once you have enough of them to generate enough electricity to do what you want to do, then that electricity obviously does whatever it's supposed to do. In the case of a, a fuel cell vehicle, it's providing power to an electric motor. So just as a battery would provide the electricity to an electric motor in a in a traditional electrical vehicle, the fuel cell would do that for this one. The water vapor uh, would be uh, would be essentially vented. You know, it's an exhaust, so you'd lose that, and the heat would just be released to the atmosphere as well. Uh, now, I should also say that fuel cells, the different types, operate at different temperatures for uh, the optimal performance, right? There are some fuel cells that do really well at temperatures that are pretty typical for what you would find in a car engine. So that would be okay. Uh, the The membranes are a little, a little tricky because some of them are very delicate. And as temperatures drop, the membranes become vulnerable to that. So that's actually a problem with some fuel cells is trying to figure out if you happen to be a, a, someone who operates a vehicle and say, our friends to the Great White North, 
a fuel cell vehicle might not be the best choice because that membrane could be damaged in the winter. Right. That's a problem with a lot of fuel cells, actually. Yeah. Even the larger ones that operate at much higher temperatures. Oh, yeah. I mean, because they heat up to 600 or 800 degrees Celsius, that's Celsius, not Fahrenheit, right. kids. Um, you know, it's co- heating that much and then cooling it back down to room temperature can create a lot of um, uh, corrosion within the materials that it's made of. Right. You, you don't want to you don't want to have to shut it down more frequently than necessary because it, it when it's at the optimal temperature it's it's performing like gangbusters but then once you have to shut it down then obviously you have to take in more energy just to cool it down and then to heat it back up to get it to the right temperature so it sounds like even though we've heard about fuel cells mostly being used in application with cars they'd actually be easier to use in sort of like a stationary uh system infrastructure maybe powering a factory or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, factories. There are even power generation plants that use fuel cells. These are ones that tend to use the ones you're talking about, Lauren, the ones that uh, operate at really high temperatures. They're really efficient, and they put out a great deal of power, but it also means that they cannot be used for applications like driving a car, because I don't know about you, but personally, I start getting uh, uncomfortable if my car gets over 90 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, if it's operating at 800 degrees Celsius, I have a feeling I, I would, I mean, even Atlanta summers are not that bad, right? So you can't really have something that operates at those temperatures in a form factor as small as a car without cooking the <laughs> inhabitants of that car, or maybe making the car out of some sort of material that would deflect all that heat, which would make the car heavier and require you to put more energy into it to actually make it move. It would be pretty awesome for cooking soup on the go, though. Oh, yeah. No, that your soup would be instantaneously cooked. Uh, my intuition says even more than a comfort problem, it just sounds sort of mechanically unstable. Oh, sure. Yeah. So those sort of uh, applications would be for things like operating a, a big factory that requires a lot of power or a power generation plant or even uh, being able to supply power to a, an office building or a home. So one of the fuel cells that uh, I, I kind of mentioned, this is the one I was talking about that made a big splash a few years ago and got a lot of excitement around it. But then uh, once people started figuring out how it was really working, it was still exciting. It just wasn't as mysterious. It's called the Bloom Box. Now, the Bloom Box, a few years ago, it was one of these things where people were were really vague about what was going on. It was a box that was generating electricity, and there wasn't a lot of actual... But you can't look inside. It, was, it, it almost <laughs> oh, seemed no. like, it almost Never seemed look like that. It almost seemed like that. Yeah. The, the very early days of the, the um, promotional material, like it seemed like it could have been one of those wacky uh, uh, perpetual motion type devices or, or free energy devices that never pan out because, I don't know, thermodynamics, it's hard to get around, right? So laws, basic laws of physics are difficult to break. So once it came out about exactly how it was generating power, people were like, oh, no, this totally makes sense. It's a, it's refining a technology that we've known about for a really long time. Yeah. And, and there are actual improvements that make it more useful, but it's not mysterious, right? Yeah. It was fuel cells. Yeah. And just to put in, I mean, we've known about fuel cells since about 1839, once Sir William Grove invented the first one, um, based on his hypothesis that, you know, you could reverse the whole process. Well, okay, so he knew that um, that water can be split into hydrogen and oxygen by running an electric current through it. He sure. thought, hey, maybe we can do the opposite. Yeah. And it turns out he's right. Uh, that's electrolysis, by the way, when you use electricity to split uh, water molecules into their basic units, the hydrogen and oxygen. And in fact, that's one of the ways that people have talked about 
generating hydrogen. We'll get into that a little bit later. So in the case of the Bloom box or the Bloom energy boxes, they're using solid oxide uh, fuel cells. It's a little bit different from the ones that we're talking about with the permeable membrane. So the solid oxide ones operate at a higher temperature than permeable membrane. So they, they work fine as a standalone unit that's connected to a building, but not necessarily a great choice for, say, a vehicle. Uh, but they also are... Uh, they also generate a little bit of carbon dioxide in the process. So it's a small amount compared to the amount of water that is given off. But it's still one of those things where you'd say, okay, this is not – it's not as desirable as, say, a pure hydrogen fuel cell in the sense that it's still generating CO2. Right. You know, and we generally think that if we can cut back on producing CO2, that would be a good thing. That's ideal. Yeah. yeah. So let's get into – some of the problems with fuel cells or challenges, if you prefer, if you want to look at it as challenges as opposed to a problem. Yeah, this sounds pretty good. Uh, so basically no emissions and all that. Uh, why, why don't I have a fuel cell car? OK, a uh, few different reasons. Uh, some of them are practical. Some of them are environmental. Some of them are safety oriented. So first of all, hydrogen is the main fuel we're talking about, Ap- apart from the methane ones that are still being looked at, hydrogen's really what we're concentrating on with fuel cells. Well, that should be easy. You just go outside with a jar and swing it around <laughs> to collect those clouds of hydrogen you see floating oh, everywhere. Oh, if only that were the case. Yeah, as Wait it tur- a as second. It, as yeah. it turns How out, do you get pure hydrogen? It's not easy because hydrogen in its pure form is in really short supply here on Earth. Hydrogen is one of those things that tends to bond with everybody. It wants to be everyone's best friend. Yeah. And so that's why if you've ever heard the term hydrocarbons, there are a lot of different ones out there. Hydrogen tends to bond Bond with lots of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, my guess is that most of the, I don't know this, I imagine a lot of the hydrogen on Earth is in water. Right? A lot of it is, but it's, you know, it's in a lot of stuff. So right. getting that hydrogen means that you have to expend some energy to get the actual fuel, right? So you have to start doing calculations. How much energy do you have to expend in order to get the fuel you're going to use to create energy? If <laughs> it ends up being the same amount or more, then obviously you're on the losing side of that. Yeah, so if you imagine you go back and use electrolysis to get the hydrogen out of the water, you have to create electric current right. to get pure hydrogen to put in your fuel cell to create electric current. Right. So right. how are you getting the original electric exactly. current? And even your ideal fuel cell vehicle kind of thing would only be operating at maybe 60, 65% efficiency. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's on the high end too. Yeah. 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 So you're talking about how you're going to, you're still losing some of that potential energy, right? Some of it's just going into heat and not driving your car. So you have to worry about that as well. So there are all these things you have to take into account. One thing you could do is if you really wanted to, you could build a solar farm to generate the electricity <laughs> to zap the water to make the hydrogen to make the cars go and the green grass goes all around and around. So, uh, but I mean, okay. there's, there's obviously different ways and there's some scientists who are looking into new ways to harvest hydrogen that could pan out and end up being a solution to at least one part of this problem. But that's just one part. Uh, right. Even if we did have unlimited access to unbonded hydrogen, we would have to have some kind of infrastructure in place in order to get the hydrogen to you, Joe, with your fancy fuel cell vehicle. No, oh, yeah. I imagine. See, hydrogen is probably harder to transport than something like gasoline or oil, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah, you have that's to, a liquid. Yeah, you end up pressurizing this gas. Also, by the way, hydrogen, a little bit flammable. Yes. So, uh, I don't know if you ever watched this video that went viral a few years ago about the Hindenburg 
Um, More than a few years ago, I yeah, think. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, hey, some but of us are older than soon, others. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Oh, the humanity. Um, so, yeah, hydrogen is very flammable. It's very dangerous stuff. And it, and so there there are valid safety concerns about putting this stuff into pressurized canisters because you can't – another pro- part of the problem is because it's less energy dense than other fuels, in order for you to have enough of it to make your car go as far as you want it to – More volume. You need more volume, which means you – and you can't carry unlimited volume because you don't have unlimited space. So you have to cram more and more of it into a pressurized canister. Unless you have a TARDIS – Unless you have a TARDIS where it's larger on the inside than on the outside, but I don't think the TARDIS okay. runs on hydrogen. I would also imagine the TARDIS would make most of this discussion obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know. Pshaw. All right, so uh, barring any sonic screwdrivers <laughs> entering into the conversation, you have to have pressurized canisters to hold this stuff. And so there's a danger issue. There's a there's also the building the infrastructure so you can get the hydrogen to where it needs to be. That's obviously a multi-billion dollar problem, right, to build out an infrastructure. We have such an established infrastructure, particularly in the United States, for uh, for gasoline. And then also for diesel fuel as well, but mainly gasoline for most of the cars that are on the road in the U.S. Uh, that are at least, you know, consumer cars, not necessarily municipal vehicles or whatever. So building out that infrastructure is a huge financial practical problem where you've got to figure out where does the money come from. Uh, and and it's one of those kind of chicken or the egg issues where, mm-hmm. you know, until people have the vehicles, then no one wants to support the infrastructure, but you can't have the vehicle without the infrastructure. It's a catch-22. So a chicken or egg catch-22. Hey, I'm going to just mix metaphors for the rest of this podcast. Excellent. Um, why stop now? But the, the, yeah, so that's, that's another problem. So you've got the, the risk, you've got the fuel supply, you've got the infrastructure. That's another issue. Um, you know, these are all non-trivial problems. It doesn't mean that we should turn away from the challenge because this is a very promising way of delivering, uh, energy in multiple respects, not just with vehicles, but it does mean we have to keep that in mind when we look at the problem. Absolutely. Uh, here in the U.S., we, we do have the Hydrogen Fuel Initiative, which uh, funds research into fuel cells and right. all of this this infrastructure and chemistry and physics of, of the entire thing with the goal of having a um, cost-effective method of making this go by, like, 2020. Right, right. Some people have uh, said that they it's it's a good start, but that the, the program itself is... Uh, possibly more modest than what the challenge requires. Oh, absolutely. That's probably the best political way to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, and there are other countries, obviously, that I don't know, don't mean to alarm you, but there are other countries besides the United States. Uh, I know. I've been lied to all my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of them even celebrated New Year's before we did. I just, that's just... That's just treason. Yeah, it's some too of them much don't attitude. even celebrate the Fourth of July. I don't I, get yeah, it. Yeah, what's up with that? You know, so uh, anyway, we do acknowledge there are other countries in the United States. Obviously, we live here in the U.S., so a lot of our our focus is on the U.S. But there are other countries that are also looking into hydrogen. Some of which have uh, employed more hydrogen vehicles than than you would see in the U.S. Uh, percentage-wise. Uh, there are hydrogen-based vehicles in the U.S. already. A lot of them are, uh, again, municipal vehicles, government vehicles or, or public transportation vehicles, things like that. But there aren't that many consumer ones just because there aren't that many places where you could refuel. You know, so that's until we solve that problem, then clearly that's going to that's going to hold things back. 
So an impression I'm getting is that we have to make this great investment to get the hydrogen we need in order to power the fuel cell. So energy has to go into creating this fuel that's going to create the energy. Obviously, the fuel cell provides an emissions advantage, but is there any case in which it actually provides an energy efficiency advantage, or is it always going to be at an energy efficiency loss to the benefit of lowering emissions? Well, this is a really tricky thing to answer because, uh, generally speaking, fuel cell vehicles tend to be more efficient than gasoline-powered vehicles. However, gasoline is more energy-dense than hydrogen. So you've got multiple factors here. So how do you how do you measure that? You could measure it and how far you could travel on one full tank, right? That would be one way of saying it. So if you could have a hydrogen-based vehicle and on a fuel, full tank it could travel further than your average gasoline-powered vehicle and you've got fewer emissions in, involved, on the face of it, at least on the on just the vehicle side of this equation, the hydrogen one comes out ahead, right? Mm-hmm. Literally ahead because it could travel further. But then you have to look, like you were saying, at the back end. How how right, how the much whole energy production process? Right. But see, generating gasoline also requires energy. You have Certainly to expend true. energy yeah. to get the the petroleum. You have to expend energy to refine it. You have to spend energy to ship that gasoline to where it needs to be. It's such a huge problem that I mean, like a, a or a huge consideration that I don't have an answer for you simply because I don't have enough information from all of these different aspects to boil it all down and finally, you know, make that bar graph, right? Of Mm -hmm. which one, which one comes out on top. And, and, and even when you take a conventional electric batteries into the equation too, um, you know, you're, you're charging those from a wall socket and where is that electricity coming that from? It? Is it coming yeah. from a coal-powered plant? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, we've the, the, said that several times in this show because it and it bears repeating because sure. it's one of those things that we easily take for granted. You think, oh, electricity—that's clean energy. You're not creating any emissions. Well, it all depends on how that inter- that electricity was generated in the first place. Yeah. Sure. And the numbers that I've seen on electric car batteries since I've mentioned uh, the, the the other two range from the twenty to twenty-five percent of gasoline-powered vehicles all the way up to sixty to sixty-five percent, depending on where you're getting that energy to charge the battery. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of different considerations here. It would also depend on how how are we creating the energy where we're getting that hydrogen, right? Yeah. How, what, what are we using to get to the hydrogen? If we're using petroleum-based products or petroleum-based uh, fuel sources for us to be able to get the hydrogen, we've really just shifted the problem to a different side, right? Mm-hmm. It's of just course. like just like any power generation. You have to look at where is that energy coming from ultimately, and, besides the sun. And even, and even if even if you use a, a solar farm in order to to drive all this, then how are you creating those photovoltaics that are <laughs> driving the solar farm? Yeah. Well, I guess everything you'd eventually have to look at in terms. Terms of relative, uh, you know, it's going to take some energy to make this thing, but is it less than than what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. And are you producing fewer emissions at the end? Yeah. Now it could mean that it may be that you know maybe getting the hydrogen requires less energy. Let's let's yeah. just let's just say for a moment that let's say we found a way to get hydrogen. It takes less energy than it would take for us to get petroleum and then refine that into gasoline. However, maybe there's also the possibility that by getting that hydrogen, it actually creates a more environmentally damaging 
process than say petroleum getting petroleum would be mm. that's a possibility too and then you're like you have to sit there and say well from an energy perspective now hydrogen makes sense but from an environmental perspective it might not you have to take all of that into consideration uh, i certainly accept that in the abstract i am trying to picture what that hydrogen environmental crisis would be i'm not well, sure if but you, if you're getting but, uh, all but of I your certainly accept there sure. could be something if, I hypothetically, if you're getting yeah. all your hydrogen from water and they're there are people who would make the argument of, well, we've already got this water, this water location problem where there are places in the world that have limited to no access to clean drinking water and you're using water to create fuel. There's a perception issue there. Even if you were to argue, well, just based on, on, uh, logistics, getting water from this one part of the world to take it to this other part of the world that has less access doesn't make a whole lot of sense in any other practical application. It's still a perception problem. Yeah. Of course, if your cars produced water. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Joe just wants to, and this is not a lie. Joe just wants to see a fuel cell in operation and have an exhaust pipe that's dripping water into a glass and then watch me drink it. That's what I, Joe wants. I have No, I no, have I mean, this is a literal too. conversation that we have had multiple times. And yes. here's the thing. I'd do it because you're talking about hydrogen and oxygen combining to form pure water. It's probably yeah. cleaner water than I would get anywhere else. I mean, assuming that the that the exhaust pipe isn't made of pure lead or something like well, that. Well, yeah, yeah, if I drink, I'm like, it's delicious, but I'm blind now. Then obviously I've made a terrible decision. Never trust Joe, I think, is the moral <laughs> of this story. Um. Well, if we wanted to talk a little bit. I actually can chat just a bit uh, about the the Toyota vehicle that's a concept vehicle. It's you know, it's a prototype vehicle. So we're recording this the week before Jonathan's about to head out to CES. Yeah, and I'm going to get a chance to see one of these concept vehicles in person. I don't know which one specifically I'm going to see because Toyota's actually made a few of them. Mm-hmm. And just for full disclosure, Toyota is, of course, the sponsor of the show. Forward thinking, yeah. yep, mm-hmm. yep. So, uh, and, and Toyota's not the only auto manufacturer that's created a fuel cell vehicle. There are others as well. But it's the one that I'm familiar with because I've been doing research search for my trip. And so uh, the they're using, again, pressurized hydrogen, just like we've been talking about to generate the electricity. But it also the, the ones they are looking at also have a battery. So the reason why they have a battery is to augment the electricity given off by the fuel cell. So the battery helps the car start up from from going from off to on. It also mm-hmm. helps in low energy applications. So when you're accelerating to get to cruising speed, once you hit cruising speed, it switches over to fuel cell. And then if you ever hit like a really steep incline and your car needs more energy, it'll tap into the battery for extra power to provide the oomph needed to to take on whatever that happens to be. That's really interesting. So this is a different kind of hybrid yes. than we're used to hearing about. Normally a hybrid would be combination gasoline and electric power, right. but like wall wall socket electric power right this is a hybrid of of fuel cell fuel and wall electric so- power yeah. well would it also sorry would it also have wall socket electric power yes. or is the battery it's not that the battery is also fueled by the fuel cell no no the way it works is that you would charge your your battery just like you would with an electric vehicle it would also have regenerative braking so that when you were braking it would, oh, cool. it would start to regenerate that into uh to recharge the the battery but uh, and I, I assume that the fuel cell also could provide some uh, electricity to recharge the battery, but that just seems silly. You know, yeah, at, at some point yeah. you're like, well, you're losing energy on all of these 
these transactions, right? So, yeah. right. Um, also, I'm wondering about the the power output of this vehicle because if if normally we rely on a gasoline engine to back up an electric battery, then uh, if we're relying on an electric battery to back up a hydrogen fuel cell. Well, I can tell you that according to Toyota, their FCHV ADV, FCHV Advanced <laughs> oh, Vehicle. Oh, of course. They like uh, letters over there. <laughs> they, all right, so you've got pressurized hydrogen uh, tanks that are uh, essentially on the bottom of the car. Uh, this It's more like a, a SUV. Do they do um, they glow purple? Like <laughs> you, I'm sure you could get neon highlights if you wanted to, but they don't on their own okay. glow purple. Sorry, sorry. If they, purple on their, if they glow car. purple on their own... You may need to seek shelter. Um, <laughs> no, they they don't glow purple, but they they have these these tanks on the bottom of the car, and it intakes oxygen just as you drive. So it's oh. pulling oxygen in from cool. air intake uh, vents on the front of the vehicle. On a full tank of hydrogen, actually, technically, I guess it's I think it's two tanks because I think they have two side by side. But on, when it's fully fueled, this vehicle can go. 830 kilometers, which is about 516 miles, which is further than a lot of gasoline-powered vehicles. Yeah, can go. I think yeah. 300 is about the average for gasoline. For a powered. long time, the the electric car industry, they were saying, "Oh, well, we need to crack that 200 miles on a single charge, or else no one will ever want these things." And so it shows how far we've gone because with that battery and the fuel cell combination, that allows this vehicle to have a much further range than what you would get with just one or the other. And so at 516 miles, that's that's pretty impressive. So I would say that uh, I don't know how fast, I don't know what the top speed of this vehicle is, but it certainly has the range that uh, someone would typically look for when looking at a vehicle. Uh, and so it's, I think it's really an interesting approach. I'm really looking forward to seeing some of this stuff in person and talking. I'm going to get a chance to talk to some of the experts who developed the technology that was being used in these vehicles. And that's also really exciting. The idea that I get to talk to some of the engineers who, you know, this is what they do. They develop these and refine them so that they can become a viable technology that we could use in the future. And that to me is, I mean, that's the best part of, of my job is being able to talk to the folks who actually make the stuff I talk about. So I'm looking forward to it. But as I said, there are other auto manufacturers that are working on fuel cell vehicles. And, Mm -hmm. of course, like I said, there are also some fuel cell vehicles that are out there already. There are also some vehicles that run on hydrogen, but they are combustion engines. So it's hydrogen as combustion, as a combustible fuel, as opposed to a fuel cell. Huh. I wouldn't even know. What are are the... What's the output, yeah, what's like the, the emissions when you of, burn hydrogen? Uh, you know, I'd have to look into all of that. I know that it's lower emissions than what you would get with gasoline, but uh, I know that some some bus systems use hydrogen fuel for their buses. So instead of, I mean, we're talking like large vehicles generally, things that require a lot of torque, but not necessarily a lot of speed, unless you're Keanu Reeves, in which case you can't get below 55 miles per hour. Yeah, we that. know how it works, Jonathan. Do you? Do you <laughs> We were alive in the 90s. I was just wondering. I didn't know if you were old enough to get into the movie theater when that came out. I I think we probably both saw that on HBO. (laughs) Uh, Not HBO. I saw it edited for television. Oh, yeah. So a lot of like... That's the best uh, one. All the expletives. Yeah. yeah, A lot of the vulgarities turned into (laughs) urs and uhs. Yeah. Those are the best. All right. uh, Anything else you guys have to say about fuel cells before we wrap up? I want one. Uh, yeah, I do too. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. There are, there are actually science kits out there that sell fuel cells where you can get like a little model car that runs on fuel cells. We should totally get one for oh, the office. Yeah, we I should. would actually 
love a little little model uh like one of those table dem- demonstrations they have yeah, you know like uh, the clear ones because a lot of people have probably done it the other way around you've tried electrolysis right like yeah. you uh-huh. run a current through some water and make little bubbles and like ooh cute bubbles but this would do the opposite. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll look into that. But at any rate, if you guys out there have anything you want to say, you know, you want to join in on this conversation, or you want to see all the other stuff that we create in Forward Thinking, go to fwthinking.com. That is our home site. You're going to find all the podcasts there, the blog posts, the videos are all there. And remember, you can touch base with us on Google+, on Twitter, and Facebook. Our handle is FWThinking. We look forward to hearing from you, and you'll hear from us again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit ForwardThinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.